This is your drive time prop. 30 minutes jam-packed with news of the day from the perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story is the Eric Garner case back in the news. The police officer who was held responsible for his death was fired today in very, very dramatic fashion. They put a press conference on Fox where the police commissioner said that he and he alone made this decision and people are going to be really mad at him. Like you're justified in being really mad. Like this should definitely get cops to be really mad. (laughs) And I just thought, well, that's, that's a setup if I ever heard one. And the case itself, the Eric Garner case, I remember covering at the time, it did, it did have some two sides of the issue. One thing was he was selling loose cigarettes, which hurts the people who are going through the process of obeying the laws and licensing and, and all that. So you can't do it in front of their store, but as a libertarian, it begs the question, are you have to, people don't want to voluntarily adhere to laws that they know are not inherently wrong. He was just selling cigarettes to people who wanted them. And in order to suppress black markets like that, cops have to be very brutal And he was extremely mouthy to the cops. He was belligerent and not, I mean, he wasn't like threatening to them, but he was disrespectful. He wasn't respecting their authority. And if you are going to have effective police, they really have to, they really can't back down. And he was a very big guy. So there were a lot of nuances to the case and the Democrats in their debates called for this guy to get fired, but they're definitely making it a major political conflict i feel like on purpose that's the story that led the news this hour yes i feel like they are finding different ways to inject the racial divide at the front of the news just about every single day i have an interesting story here headlined the georgia highway becomes a test bed for connected vehicles The Ray, an 18-mile stretch of I-85 in Troop County, will be outfitted with connected vehicle technologies as part of a two-year pilot project organized by the Georgia Department of Transportation, Panasonic, and The Ray. The Ray is a stretch of highway. It's named after Racy Anderson. He was a a Georgia business leader in green energy, and apparently they used that whole 18-mile stretch to test like futuristic connected technologies and what they're doing here is they're going to have six roadside units which will be deployed along this 18 mile length of highway and it will send information from the connected vehicles to the traffic management platform and the 4G the 4G dot vehicles based, based in the area will be equipped with the onboard technology to send speed location and direction data along with various bits of information about the vehicle operation such as windshield wipers or hard braking so Georgia is a test pilot for yet another Smart technology. Hmm. Stay off that road, especially if you have a <laughs> recent car. Well, trucks are definitely in the cutting edge of that. My brother's a truck driver, and he has a lot of – he has had to install a computer a long time ago that transmitted that kind of information. They can really track him down. Like he has to stop driving for, I think, a half the day or something, and they can – they do keep track of it. They do record that information. So 
The other big story continues to be that the recession, threats of recession could threaten Trump's reelection. So when I see signs of recession, so now they're saying the inverted yield curve maybe isn't as big a deal as it was being made out to be. And when I see threats of recession in an election year, I, I'm so cynical and I've read enough to believe that the powers that be, the money powers, have quite a bit of control over what happens in the market. And if they want the president to be reelected, they will make sure the economic atmosphere is conducive to reelection. And if they don't, they can turn that around. So I feel like I don't even speculate if this is a false alarm or foreshadowing. I really do not think that you can look at the fundamentals as an educated investor and really get the right answer if you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So Trump was criticized in the New York Times for suggesting – now, it was confidential, so he didn't do it publicly, so who knows how valuable this information is, but that there was a conspiracy to stoke fears of recession in order to undermine his reelection and that then that kind of dovetailed for me with Larry Kudlow, his economic advisor, who's also a media personality, saying there's nothing wrong with optimism as if the power of the mind can control. And it does. I mean, consumer sentiment does seem to have an impact. But that that's what I think is going on with the uh, – I do believe the recession talk is a political – Event And uh, at the same time, we're also hearing that Trump may be quietly backing off tariffs with China for fear that the impact on the economy, especially towards Christmas, will be bad for him politically. So I don't know what that is all about, but it is possible that all this talk about China and reining in trade and not signing the TPP and all that stuff is really a bait and switch that – will go hand-in-hand with a, like, he was leading the charge on the backlash against globalism, and perhaps he will let the pendulum swing even further to uh, champion globalism when this stuff seems to be an utter failure. All right, well, speaking of 2020, deep fake evidence so realistic, innocent people will go to jail, warns expert. Deepfake content is getting really good really fast, warns Shamir Alibaha. It goes on to say – she's the CEO of a video verification company, and she says it's only a matter of time before the technology creeps its way into the global judicial system, telling telling the Daily Star that initial initially deepfakes will be manipulations of existing audio and video evidence such as that from CCTV, voice recorders, police body cams, and bystander cell phones, but that eventually they'll be fabricated out of nowhere and that you'll be able to pull somebody's picture off of Facebook or something and say, tell so-and-so to do blank, and the deepfake technology will just make it so, and that the technology will become widely available and you won't have to have any technical expertise in order to use it and that it will essentially destroy due process because innocent people will go to jail and people who are guilty will call into question whether or not they did something by pointing to the existence of deep fake technology. It should be – you should be able to look at the – 
the info on the video though, shouldn't you? Or they the deep fake can can fake that too? I don't know. You mean like the metadata? Yeah. I don't know enough about how that stuff works. Yeah, I just I feel like there if you're going to introduce a video into court, I would think not just like spotting a deep fake but authenticating the video down to the device, the time, all that. It should be maybe a little bit more complicated than they're making it sound. Well, I know you can wipe that stuff before you upload pictures because there's ways to do that to prevent people from knowing exactly that, the date and time and your location. Right. Well, uh, that won't stop any. The fact that it's uh, more complicated than it sounds is not going to stop anybody from fomenting that fear or trying it. Yeah, 2020 is going to happen. They've been putting this in the public mind for way too long, so we're going to see a test run of it. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, A big story has been in the news, uh, of course, the Epstein stuff. Let's skip that. You know, there's a short thing on the Epstein stuff, and then I'll do the other big story. Uh, Alicia, Alicia Arden, I had mentioned her a while back. She was the first person probably to file a complaint against Jeffrey Epstein. It was in 1997 in Santa Monica. And she's, she has been outspoken in saying if they had just followed up, then Epstein might have been stopped a lot sooner. And, and I guess some journalists tried to follow up with the cops and the cops had written into her report that she did not want to press charges and that's why they dropped it. And she adamantly denies that. She's outraged that they would say that. And I'm just pointing it out because I actually believe that type of funny business does happen. You, we can't get the police report. We cannot see it. And I think that, that to the extent, you know, where you have corruption or even just the normal course of business, they write stuff like that to make it look like, oh, we don't, I, we don't need to follow up on that for this official reason, but it's not true and there's no ta- transparency and no one will ever find it. That kind of thing is a moral hazard because it gets them off the hook on prosecuting someone she clearly or she claims to have wanted to prosecute. So that was that. But I'll go on to the other story that uh, has you were talking about, Binkley, and Byron posted on the press pool on thepropreport.com. It's this story about three mass shooters stopped before they even started. And it says in the article I was reading, they expressed interest in mass shootings on social media. And the, this, this language parallels what I was warring against in the domestic terrorism, the domestic terrorism legislation that Senator McSally proposed last week and what i found very interesting about this story is uh the three guys wagshaw tristan wicks at the wind dixie and uh james patrick reardon spelled i think just like hank reardon from atlas shrugged says uh in every one of these cases, in the Wagshaw case, he says he had expressed interest in committing a mass shooting on Facebook. And this, in each case, it's the police telling CNN or whatever the news source is what those guys posted on social media. 
in that case, it was this. And that just reminds me of the Justin Carter case where the kid said jokingly something like that. He went to jail for a long time. He was refused bail. I was following this story for years and he was only released. He was only, they only accepted or gave the guy a plea bargain right after the Parkland shooting because it would have demonstrated what absolute BS it was that the Parkland shooter was tagged 30 something times and still never faced any, any kind of, uh, uh, police action. It just is not true. Look up Justin Carter. So these guys are saying uh, that he said something on Facebook. That's what the cops said. The sheriff's office said in the Wicks case that this kid texted his ex-girlfriend that he wanted to uh, open fire on a crowd and reared in. The cops told CNN that they, that an uh, Instagram account belonging to Reardon had posted a video showing a man firing a gun and tagging a Jewish center. But uh, the way they even came across this post was an officer was responding to an unrelated call. And at that unrelated call, they showed him this video. So in no case does, does, is the journalist actually aware of any of this, and in all cases, the cops found some kind of illegal arms at the guy's house, or not illegal arms, just arms, not necessarily illegal. So the, these are very fishy stories, and given that every criminal case almost ends in a plea bargain, and that now just being accused of expressing interest in something that might, et cetera, et cetera, uh, could result in 15 years in prison, this is just the kind of thing that they can trump up to put anybody in jail, even just for having a gun, seems to me. Just what to watch out for. Yeah, one of them had legal arms and legal body armor and stuff, but it was his dad's, and he had access to it. So that yeah, was part of it. Another one yeah. was a girlfriend. He was text sending text messages to his girlfriend that they say were incriminating. I don't know the specific text that was messages. Wicks. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, there's a definitely a, a fine line there between when someone is planning something and someone is just saying stupid stuff that aren't incriminating. I was reading these stories. But they and might was, not be saying it. They there's might no not, evidence they, that they said it. I know, but my point is that people say stuff all the time that, that's silly in text messages. That they don't. I've stopped saying certain words on text right. messages that I would say – joking around with my friends because I'm like, wow, if somebody reads that, they could twist it and make it to mean something else. And I think that that's what people have to worry about. Yeah, was, I agree. And it has a chilling effect on on even your just normal expression. And they've gotten to where yeah. even talking to your friends is now somehow in a public forum, certainly recordable digitally through texts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Stacey Abrams launched her Fair Fight initiative in Georgia on Tuesday in Snellville, not Tuesday, on Saturday in Snellville, which she she had launched Fair Fight Georgia back right after she lost the election. She's been using this as an organizing platform and fundraising, raising millions upon millions of dollars for this organization for a long time. In fact, they had a little thing here in Georgia where a bunch of actors got together just like they did in New York and in other states, and they all read the Mueller report 
dramatically <laughs> for 24 straight hours, and they raised money. And Fair Fight Georgia is one of the one of the places that this fundraising money went to. So it just went to Stacey Abrams, you know, political campaign for this uh, Fair Fight Georgia, where she's going to be fighting voter suppression around the country. And one of the things that she's doing with this is. For the next 15 months, her organization is going to be training staff members in 20 competitive battleground states to help fix uh, inaccurate voter rolls, address the shortages of voting machines and provisional ballots, and form- formalize rules around counting absentee ballots. They're going to work to participate to, to increase participation in the 2020 consensus. So she's going to be working to formulate the rules, and then it goes on to say this, and I found this the most interesting. Miss Abrams is also seeking to empower citizens at the local levels of government. Seemingly small decisions, which, which cases will be tried, which schools will be shut down, how many seats are on the water board, often have an enormous impact on the lives of people of color. Stronger voter protections for those hyper-local races could make a big difference. Now, if you recall, we talked a while ago about how George Soros is funding a lot of Local district attorney races and stuff like that to get control of the locales of what cases get tried. And I believe that this is another way that George Soros gets into these locales in other capacities because George Soros has been funding Abrams for at least five years now. I, I I think we should definitely bear that in mind. Soros is certainly behind a lot of the the movements that change our world. I mean, I was surprised to find that he was behind the legalized pot movement. It makes me, makes me wonder. And then there was that story out of Philadelphia with the cops last week where the guy actually mentions that Soros undermined all these DA races. I thought that was a weird, you know, weird little um, thing for him to bring up. I think it's interesting. You get in there and you get control of these local races where there's not a whole lot of people who who try to win these offices. This is a I don't want to call it a communist technique, but it's a it's a it's a seeking power and co-opting technique is you find these little these cracks in society where hardly anybody runs for a race and people don't really care about going to take control of a local district or whatever. And you, you implant people in there, people that you control, and they go and win these easy-to-win races, kind of like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And uh, through that, you grow your power from those little tiny places. Was her race easy to win? I think she had to upset an incumbent in the primaries. I think that was a weird one, no? I think it was easy for her to win the the Democratic primary because I I think nobody – I think there wasn't any – they weren't expecting anybody to run against, and I don't think there was any campaign really. Or it was easy for her to run – to win the seat once she defeated the guy in the primary. That's probably true. Probably a a solidly Democrat basis. And if you're talking about DAs or local guys like that, you maybe you don't think it's as important as like the governor. Yeah. But if you have laws like this where they can take people out without without really uh any act, you know, where it's just a, a thought crime and the guy who's in charge of of the plea bargains and everything is a guy who's who picks and chooses who walks and who doesn't that can have a real impact and and look at like baltimore ferguson that stuff 
prompted calls for kinder and gentler policing, which I said would, would pro- probably have the purpose of increasing crime again, getting people nervous about crime, because that is where the power of the government lies. So these guys, criminal justice, prison reform is actually on my is on my uh, radar right now. The yeah. Epstein case plus prison breaks will both fold into prison reform, which won't be the kind of reform we actually need. It will probably just serve the cronies, but they, but they will that that stuff has a major impact, and and probably is underreported. And this says seemingly small decisions, which cases will be tried. That's not a small decision. I know. I, I know. That list was a little weird. And if you read the report from Iron Mountain, it says, we have computer programs, and this is from 50-something years ago, we have computer programs that can tell the impact of the price of on the price of real estate in lower Manhattan of a small change in the draft law. Oh, wow. I mean, 50-something years ago. So there are no small decisions. Yeah. Okay, uh, there's calls or there's reporting on Trump and I guess Ted Cruz started it calling Antifa a domestic terrorism organization. Trump tweeted that. Did he? Yeah, during it's the being riots. Reported. Yeah, it's being reported. And my take on it is that he that as I see him being established as a the terrorist of the ages or whatever the hitler of the 21st century i can't help but think that if he does something like ban or label antifa what is that anti-fascist oh he's against anti-fascist that he sounds very hitler and uh yeah i i feel i got a, i got an interesting email from byron asking me to elaborate on something like that is trump just another role player and a willing participant in the dialectic, or has his persona been purposely crafted to solidify and ensure the permanence of the dialectic? Yes, Byron, that's what I think. Or is he actually viewed as a disruptor to those who stand to benefit most from the dialectic? No. Um, so I think in answer to Byron's question, he probably wants more on this, but I'm going to keep it to this for now, is that he, I believe, is, yes, he is going to be the avatar, the icon of the enemy as we move towards the globalism, which will be in the form of the Green New Deal. So it will feel very liberal and socialist and it will be and this this massive pendulum swinging reaction against Trump, who will 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 embody this stuff by doing things like banning Antifa, even if it feels like it is a terrorist organization. Binkley, you brought us so much on that. That does justify it. But when you look back in history, if you read history, you're never, ever, ever reading those details because, of course, history is written by the winners. So you're you're going to take the symbolic action and it's going to maybe even seem feel okay at the time. You can, you know, and then you're going to use it as an icon for something later that really maybe the details wouldn't be so crystal clear on. And and I think that's what he's going to be. Yeah, I think you're right. That's always a benefit to having, having an Orwellian name like Antifa. I have friends who 
have just liked the Antifa page, who think they could probably start an Antifa group if they wanted to because it's, well, they're against fascists. I'm against fascists. I'm with them. I'm like, have you read their website? Do you understand that you cannot start an Antifa group? They actually have people who track all the Antifa groups, and they have to be organized under their their central premise and their founding rules, and that if you do not agree to them or if you start a group locally just because you think it's nice and you don't like you you don't like fascists, they will send someone to you and they will make you abide by their rules, which includes having a war against the police, or they will call you a white nationalist. So it's that's how it works with Antifa. You're either with them in their war against the police or you're a white nationalist, but that deceptive Orwellian name of Antifa, it it fools a lot of people who just don't know the history. Yeah, it's meant to. All right, so here's a – it's kind of a funny one. Russia warns Google not to interfere in its elections. The country's Federal Service for Supervision of Communications, Information Technology, and Mass Media warned there would be consequences for interference on behalf of the American company. That's interesting because they are having protests and other issues in Moscow right now that Putin is addressing regarding fair elections by and a, and a parallel thing that happened was Trump once said something about suing Google because of their bias towards Hillary. So there's a couple of those stories that parallel that. I've got one more thing on Russia unless do you have more on this? The article started off, you could tell the bias of the writer because the first line of the article after the headline is, this just in from Russia's Department of Irony. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, looking for the bias of reporters is you could read every article in the newspaper, I think, all day long and find nothing but that. There's another Russian thing. Maria Butina, thanks again to Byron, is in the news as the CEO of Overstock.com said he started a relationship with her because he was an FBI informant and wanted to get information from her. So he calls her a honeypot, but actually what he was doing is what a honeypot actually does. And I don't believe any of that for a minute, uh, but I do know her real boyfriend, Paul Erickson, was by coincidence – Arrested and charged, I think, earlier this year for fraud unrelated to the Russian case, just by coincidence, he happened to be uh, investigated and arrested. He was recently arrested? I think it was February, but I had reported on that before, Paul Erickson. So when I saw this article that Byron put on the pool that said this other guy – the CEO of Overstock came out as saying that he had a relationship with her, but because he was an FBI informant and he was trying to get information from her, it just seemed funny to me. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the story is going to be with that guy. But if you happen to see that story, the real story, in my opinion, is that Paul Erickson, her actual boyfriend, was. I would say politically persecuted, just like Joe Naccio of Quest, if you want to go back to that story, where they did something the government didn't like and the government arrested them for something unrelated. And who knows what's going to come of that? Who knows what cooperation or information or what once they have you in their grips? 
uh, their grip. They're going to, they're going to use their leverage through draconian sentencing and their power of the plea bargain and all that to get you to do something you otherwise wouldn't do for political reasons by abusing the criminal justice system. I just thought it was an interesting opportunity to bring up that Paul Erickson story. Yeah. I have one here that I told you about, but I haven't got a chance to report it on the drive time prop yet. Don't change your DNA at home, says America's first CRISPR law. Oh, my gosh. A California human biohacking bill calls for warnings on do-it-yourself genetic engineering kits. And ultimately, the goal here is to prevent people from being able to do this biohacking in their garage at home. And I... I anticipated this a while ago because there's people who have been – obviously people who have been probably messing themselves up doing this do-it-yourself biohacking, but there's been people who have cured some of their ailments as well. There's a guy who was a NASA engineer who kind of fell out of favor with them, and he doesn't he doesn't work there anymore, and he began his kind of quest to learn how to gene edit himself, and he does all these videos which don't get a lot of views, and he had – an irritable irritable bowel syndrome or something like that, IBS, and he cured himself of that uh, using gene editing, and he's also experimented with the other stuff. He did get a side effect of that, which he developed a sweet tooth, but I found it interesting because he's had some success with biohacking, and there's a list that a Harvard doctor has – and I've talked about this before, but the list that the Harvard doctor put out, the Harvard researcher, has all of the like ways you can – Gene edit yourself and give yourself almost superhuman-like powers, and it has some of the potential side effects of it. Like one of the potential superhuman-type powers is uh, your bones will be super, super dense, kind of like the movie Unbreakable mm-hmm. with Bruce Willis. But the side effect is that you'll never be able to swim again, potentially, which is crazy because it's exactly <laughs> like what happens in the movie. But um, you know they've tried that on someone. If that's out there, you know they've tried it. So I was thinking about that, and I was like, these people are figuring out how to – Turned themselves into kind of superhuman in their garage, not like lasers coming out of your eyes or anything, but strength and endurance and ability to hold your breath underwater longer than anybody else. If people are figuring out how to do this in their garage, they are going to implement laws to stop it because they do not want to lose control of that technology. And I think we're going to see more and more CRISPR laws coming in, Hmm. making it illegal to gene edit yourself. All right. What to watch out for. Yeah. All right, I've got something. I'll save this for tomorrow. This is a little tease about the uh, six teens who were burgling a house. One of them died. I'll tell you what the twist of the story is and the point of it tomorrow. All right. You can find your drive time prop every day at 4 p.m. on the propreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.